Well, would you open your Bibles this morning to the book of John, chapter 1. Uh, last week, we, we learned that the main point of the book of John is found in John 20, uh, verses 30 and 31, and I included that in your notes just to, so you wouldn't have to turn there. And what we read was, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written, and here we go, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So as we begin to unpack the book of John, starting in chapter 1, our sermon text for the next few weeks may get you to start thinking that it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And well, it should, because we will be learning about how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I may even ask our worship leader next Sunday to lead us in singing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I think as you read through, even read beyond this morning's text into next week's text, and, and you'll see why, um, we could think of this as Christmas in October, or the longest Advent sermon series that you're ever going to hear. And it e might even give some of you permission to do what you've always wanted to do, but never have yet done, set up the Christmas tree. Those of you who want to set up the Christmas tree when the pumpkin spice lattes start coming out, you want to just set up the Christmas tree. Well, <laughs> maybe this year is a good time to do it. But in reality, Christmas is not the main point of our passage. Not this morning. It's not even really the main part of the passage. Next week, it will reference the incarnation, certainly. But the main point of our passage is that Jesus is God. It's just so simple, isn't it? Somebody once said that, that God was so kind to give us the book of John because it's like a child that can enjoy the waiting pool and just have the time of their life in the waiting pool. A child can benefit from the book of John. And yet the book of John is so deep that a dinosaur could swim in it and not touch the bottom. You know, I just love that. Jesus is God. One of the, probably the most simple and most profound things we'll ever meditate upon. So I want you to look for that as we read this morning's text in John chapter 1. Would you stand with me as we read this holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, authoritative word from the Lord. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, nor will it ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you for being a God who discloses himself. 
Lord, we're so thankful that you've made it very easy to know who you are and what you're like through Jesus. And we pray that you do that for us this morning in a multitude of ways for your glory and for the godly good and growth of us as individual Christians and just as importantly for us as a church family. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is God. You know, if that's true, shouldn't that get our attention? <laughs> it's, that should probably dominate our attention. It should probably be our primary focus of attention. Jesus is God. As glorious as Mount Everest is, and I just, I've told some of you this story before. Uh, uh, I worked with Barnabas on a, on a flight from Nepal over to eastern Nepal, almost to India, and, and we're, we're flying and we're at cruising altitude, and the pilot says, if you'll just look out the window to your left, you'll see Mount Everest. And so we, we did. <laughs> and Mount Everest was higher than our cruising altitude. I don't know what the cruising altitude was, but that, that is humbling. <laughs> because you look down and you go, whoa. And you, then you look this way and you go, whoa. I mean, it's just, if, if that makes me go, whoa. Jesus is God. Those of you who've been to the Grand Canyon and you see the, the panorama laid before you and, and you're just awestruck with the beauty and magnificence and depth and breadth of it all. If that would cause you awe, how much more awe should Jesus is God cause us? That ought to be the primary focus of our lives. What we give our, our greatest attention to why we should live in a regular state of awe and wonder. Because not only is Jesus God, but by pure grace, he's my God. <laughs> he's personal. He's not just some philosophical being. He's not, not just some distant deity. He's, he's my God. Is he yours today? But isn't one of our main problems the fact that we do not pay attention to Jesus as we should. 20 plus years ago, a man named Michael Goldhaber predicted that the proliferation of the internet and just technology in general was gonna give us all a version of attention deficit syndrome. He coined the phrase that we live in an attention economy, meaning that there are countless entities, businesses, news feeds, influencers. I just recently learned there were influencers, internet influencers out there who are marketing themselves to you seeking the payment of your attention. That's an, that's an attention economy. He said that when you pay attention to one thing, by default, you're ignoring something else. And often, what you're ignoring is far more important than what you're paying attention to. As such, he calls paying attention to less important or trivial things or paying attention to things with falsely inflated importance. Hijackers, <laughs> kidnappers, or thieves of your attention. 
And when our attention has been kidnapped off of God and focused onto something else, isn't it then that we lose sight of how awesome and how wonderful and how loving God is? And even worse, isn't it sobering and frightening that when our attention is not on God, but on other things, those other things can appear bigger than God. Either in what they can do to hurt us, what we think they could do to hurt us. So how many of you have been there this week? There's just been something that has just, just gripped you with some worry and fear because it just has somehow become bigger than God and you're more convinced that it, it can cause more harm to you then God can help you because you're not paying attention to him. Or maybe there are things that you're hoping for that, that will make you happy and they seem bigger than God because it sure seems like this is a quicker road to happiness than what God can do for me. If you've been in Sovereign Grace Church for a while, um, forgive me because I'm going to give you a repeated illustration, but I think it's a helpful one and maybe you know, for, if you're newer, hopefully it'll be a helpful one to you. Stephen, can you run up here real quick? I'm just picking on you because of your muscularity and your, and your height. So Jesus is, is going gonna, is gonna to play Jesus for us, okay? My thumb is going to be all of the other things. You know, you, know, the, you know how a child, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. I think it's like the child grew up and became the internet. Yeah, yeah, just somehow that's, you know, just that's what happened. Pay attention to me. Well, there are many things I need to pay attention to that are important. Um, but it's amazing. So here's my thumb and here's all those things I need to pay attention to, like loving my wife and praying for the church and loving, discipling the church and reaching the lost with the gospel and paying my bills on time and just the many things that I need to give attention to. And it's amazing that I can do that fairly well as long as all of those things are in the perspective of Jesus being God. I'm doing pretty good there, don't you think? Don't, don't, you know, that's a pretty good way to live there. But I'm often not doing that. And I'm often, I mean, you guys, which is bigger, my thumb or Stephen? <laughs> okay, here we go. But here I go. So situation right now, middle son Mike and his wife Marissa and our granddaughter Adeline being moved to Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> away from Dallas where all my kids were all together and I could go on one trip and see them all and hug all my grandchildren. Well, that's changing. And they're moving to Memphis, Tennessee. Did you know Memphis, Tennessee is leading the nation in murders <laughs> right now? Okay, so I'm just a dad, you know, and I'm a granddad and a... So that's just one thing, right? So here we are, and it's amazing. As long as I'm seeing Jesus is God, I know that probably God is sending my kids to Memphis to shine a light in the darkness like they should. But I'm not always thinking that. Here's what I'm thinking. Memphis is the murder capital of the United States. <laughs> Oh my gosh, and I'm not going to see my kids as much. And I'm, I'm closing one eye here. I want you to, want you to, and you could even do this with, Stephen's big enough for us all to do this with. <laughs> Ooh, that's not, in the, in the best way, in the best way. Okay. Because of all thumbs, you're bigger than thumbs. That's, uh, anyway. My son, I'll, <laughs> I'll buy you lunch later. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
it's, it's amazing how I, I can get my attention on Memphis being the murder capital of the world. And all of a sudden, Memphis is bigger than Jesus? But it sure feels that way. So it could be a sickness, right? When it, you, get a, you have to take some tests, and you haven't even heard what the test results are. But somehow, that, the hijacking, the kidnapping of our attention, right? And when our attention gets kidnapped off of Christ, it's amazing how the smallest of things can become the biggest dominators of our hearts. Could you thank Stephen <laughs> for, for um, my lack of eloquence? So I would just ask you, where has your attention been kidnapped? Where's your attention? Because, you know, if we're paying attention to one thing, what does the, the guy say? We ignore more important things, possibly. And when we're ignoring the most important of the important ones, Jesus is God, it's almost invariable. It's almost that those things are going to so dominate your attention that they could look bigger than God himself. So that's where we're going to go with this. And I think, uh, oh, that, one last quote here. I love this. This is from that Goldhaber. It's in your notes. It is very important to pay attention to where you pay attention. <laughs> that's just so simple and so good. So our text this morning is intended to rescue your kidnapped attention off of lesser things and restore your attention to the greatest one, to Jesus being God. That's the Gospel of John. So get ready for 40-some weeks. Don't worry, every Sunday, there's going to be a rescue of our attention. <laughs> but it shouldn't just be here. Husbands and wives, shouldn't, shouldn't marriage be a factor in that? We need to rescue each other's attention from getting off of lesser things and remembering Jesus is God. Small group ministry, discipleship group ministry, oh, isn't that a wonderful place to get our eyes off of lesser things and, and be rescued from that kidnapper of our attention so we can fix our eyes on Jesus. And that's the main point this morning. Main point of this text is fix your eyes on Jesus because... Jesus is God. Yes, I'm using repetition for a purpose this morning. First point this morning is Jesus is the eternal God. And we're going to see that in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And, 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 and really a sub-point under that is we're going to see Jesus is the pre-existent God. And we hear that in the, in the phrase, in the beginning was the Word. Just from the very beginning, you know that we're not going to see the name Jesus in verses 1 through 5, but Jesus will be specifically identified in the Word in verses 6 through 18, which we will we'll dive into next week, talking about the Word became flesh, and Jesus was sent to us full and bringing us grace upon grace. So that's next week. Hark the herald angels sing, <laughs> right? 
So the first thing we learn about God in Genesis, in Genesis now, so this should make you think of Genesis, it would have, it would have made those first century believers, particularly if they were Jews, think of Genesis, because Genesis says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Even before we're introduced to God as creator, think about that, we're introduced to God who is God. I think we just jump off right, we kind of take our eyes off who he is in his essence, and we just start focusing on what he does, and, and that's not wrong, but oh my goodness, worship is compelled mainly by who he is, and he is God, the eternally existing God. That's the point of how Genesis starts. It's not just telling us he's creator, it's telling us he is God. He is self Existent. It's what makes him God. It's, you can't call someone God who had a, an, a beginning to his existence. It just doesn't, the definitions don't fit, do they? There was no beginning for God. The God who is God has always been God. And the God who has always will be God. And at the beginning of time, there was God at the beginning of time. But before there was the beginning of time, there was God. He is eternal in the beginning, God, right? So the Apostle John certainly makes us think of Genesis 1-1, but he surprises us in that instead of saying, in the beginning, God, or the word theos, instead he says, in the beginning was the word, the logos, the logos, and so we learn that the word is pre-existent, just as God was pre-existent. Uh, parents, I think this is an important doctrine to start planting the seeds of this doctrine in our kids' hearts. Because I, I just think that's, that, that's where Christmas can do a disservice to us. Because I think kids would tend to think that, that Jesus came into existence. The eternal son of God came into existence somehow in Bethlehem. He, he's eternally existent. There never was a time when the word was not. So whatever you can say about the eternity of God in Genesis, you can say that about the eternity of the word in, God, in John's gospel, and we know the word to be Jesus. Why does he use the word logos, the word word or the word logos? Well, logos means, it means word, it means talk, speech, conversation. In the Old Testament, the Jews were very familiar with that, that concept, because so often it, we, would, we would read, and the word of God came to, word of God came to Abraham, to Jeremiah, to Elijah. There was a, a real strong connection between God and the word, God and the word. The word is an expression of an idea or a thing. Even more importantly, the word reveals who a person is and what they are like. The word, as it refers to God in Christ, communicates and reveals the person of God. The heart of God, the teaching of God, the character of God, the love of God, the plan of God, the glory of God. The word discloses and reveals and brings out into the open makes known the person of God. Jesus is the word who makes God known. God reveals himself in Jesus. When you're, when you're talking with an unbeliever, 
I think just, I think, you know, let's, let's try to be as strong apologetically as we can, and we'll be looking at giving classes on those kind of things, but I, I think sometimes we're, we're, we're moved away by the, by the demand of people to answer questions, and I think sometimes we should just spend a little bit of time just to say, hey, listen, God reveals himself in Jesus Christ. You can actually know who God is, and you can actually know him personally because he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ, and there's nothing else in the universe like that. There's nothing else in the universe like that. And paying attention to him will help us know and love God, love God for who he is and what he's like. Don't you think my wife is gorgeous? Kind of gone. <laughs> kind of a major segue there, a little maybe abrupt. Um, do you think I fell in love with Jan because of how gorgeous she is? Listen, I know she's in children's ministry today. Honey, you're gorgeous! <laughs> she is. That's not why I love her. Uh, Jan was my sister's roommate in college, and uh, they were in college in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was in college at the Harvard of the Southwest, New Mexico State University. And um, some of you know New Mexico State, so anyway. Um, so I would call my sister, and, and so for, for the younger ones among us, this was a day when there weren't any cell phones, right? You had to stand next to a wall and make a call. How about that? There's a commercial for AT&T. Stand next to a wall and make a call. Um, and there, we'd find all kinds of ways to do that. You'd, you'd, you'd start to try to stretch the cord out of the wall, and you'd lay down on the floor. You'd see if you could sneak the phone into the bathroom somehow. It was, a weird, <laughs> it was the craziest time. So I would call my sister to see how she's doing, and, and sometimes Jan would answer. And oh... <laughs> I started to be attracted to her because of her words. They were words of love for Jesus. They were words of how she was, she was a, a kind of a women's chaplain for the women's dormitory that they were in. And she, she had responsibility to care for the spiritual life of the girls in her dorm. And she was so filled with delight and so filled with joy. And so filled with love and hope and concern and care for those women in her dorm. She so loved Jesus. And the more I talked with her, the more I was falling for her. I didn't, I didn't know what she looked like, okay? That's, here's the thing. I had never met her before. I never, in fact, it got so bad that I actually called my sister hoping my sister wouldn't be there and that Jan would answer the phone. We, we wrote letters to each other. I got to know her through the written word. I got to know her. We sent cassette tapes to each other. <laughs> you young people, that was romantic, okay? We would, we would talk into a, a, ta a recorder. <laughs> and we would talk about how much we loved Jesus and how much we were growing in our liking of each other and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, the point of it is, 
It's not, just, it's, not the, it's not what's on the outside that most tells you about a person. It's their words. And that is even more true and profound about the God who is the word named Jesus Christ. The word was in the text, it means continuous action. And in the beginning, the word was already existing. He was present before the beginning. He was and continually was, you could say. Athanasius said this, there was never a time when the word was not. I like the way Kent Hughes says it. Jesus always was wasing. <laughs> That's just, I love that. He was, he was always wasing. The birth of Jesus wasn't the origin of Jesus. What happened at Christmas is that the eternal son of God takes on flesh and becomes human. But he was always God. That you guys... That's what makes the incarnation amazing. This eternal, ever-present, all-wise, all-powerful, unlimited God takes on human flesh. Wow. To draw near to me? To draw near to me? Amazing grace. That's a sweet sound, isn't it? So, so Jesus has always been, and he's coexistent. We see that in that the word was with God. Um, what we're learning there is that um, uh, he, 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 the word was God, and the word was with God. So John is helping to see this isn't just a mere synonym for God. The word doesn't mean synonym for God. We, we are learning that the word, that Jesus is God and is distinct from God. In other words, the word that was with God is also the word that was God. Jesus is distinct from God in function and person, but not in essence. For it says the word was with God. Or some, of, some translators, even, and I love this, say it, the word was toward God. And I love this because it's, it's speaking about side-by-sideness. Scholars tell us that this teaching is that, that God the Father and God the Son have from eternity past enjoyed intimate face-to-face -face love and fellowship with one another. Don't ever believe the thing that says, well, God was lonely and that's why he made us. God had perfect fellowship 24-7 if there was 24-7 in eternity. I don't think that, that worked. It was just, they, there was perfect fellowship between the Father and the Son. And, and you remember, so it, we're, when we get to John 17, you're going to hear this. This is just awesome because Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer. And he's talking about, oh, Father, he's missing the glory that he had with God before he, he became a man. And he's longing for that face-to-face that, that -face fellowship with the Lord and, and just the intimacy that he has, Father and Son. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, total intimacy. But here's what blows you away. And then he prays, God, I want those that follow me to have the same intimacy that I have with you. I want them to experience the joy of having intimate permanent, eternal fellowship face-to-face -face with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus prayed for that then, and those prayers are counting for us now too. And I'm so glad about that. So John is stating very carefully and deliberately that Jesus, who we will learn to be the Son of God throughout this book, is to be distinguished from God the Father. 
He's God the Son. But both are God. And so right away, in just a few words, John's beginning to give us our baby steps and some, some first lessons in the, in the doctrine of the Trinity, which we will unpack more as the book goes on. So let's remember, the Word didn't come into existence, but the Word did become flesh. So John wants the theme of, of, of Jesus is God to have our attention all throughout the Gospel of John. So this is what I would ask you. I'm hoping that all of you will, will take the assignment to read the Gospel of John at your pace. Just, in, you know, don't, don't, you know, sometimes I try to read so much and I remember so little. Um, let, let your reading fix your attention on him. But page by page, chapter by chapter, keep that thought in mind. Oh, and Jesus is God. Oh, and Jesus is God. I think that's going to end up coming and trickling down to the struggles you're having in your life right now. I think just that, that regular spiritual discipline, staying true to God's word and doctrine. Oh, oh, oh. Jesus is God. Oh, oh, I'm so relieved. I'm so relieved. Aren't you glad that cancer is not God? Aren't you glad that terrorism is not God? Aren't you glad that getting into that certain university that you think you have to have to get the career you want is not God? Oh, so many things in there. And just to see, to see some of the bookends of the brilliance of the way that God has written this book. So chapter one, verses one and two, Jesus is God. And then we get to the end. And he's, Jesus has risen, risen from the dead and he, he's coming and he's revealing himself as the risen Lord to his disciples. And there was a dude named Thomas. You remember Thomas? How many of you feel like, that's my guy? <laughs> that's, if I relate to anybody in the Bible, it's Thomas. It's Thomas and I do too. And, and that Thomas, so book, look at the bookends. He's, he's oh, I won't believe until I put my hands in his, the holes in his hands and his feet and his side. And oh, and, and Jesus has this encounter with, with Thomas. And what does Thomas say? Oh, my Lord and my God. Yes, he does. So that's, that's this whole book from the start, chapter one. And God's going to give us 21 chapters of evidence that Jesus is God and they said, so here we go into our world. A lot of people are okay if you talk to them that Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus is a good man. He's a good example of love. And they'll accept that. But when you begin to say he's God, he rules over all, his word is authoritative. If he's God, what he says goes. Regardless of your feelings about things, what God says goes. Listen, our view of Jesus determines how we respond to him. I mean, just every Sunday, all of us are somewhere in this. It just changes every Sunday, I'm sure. But there were probably some of us this morning found it very hard to worship the Lord. Why? Because we were like this. Our view of God really dictates our adoration of him, our love for him, our obedience to him. 
Our view of Jesus determines how we respond to him. He's not just a teacher. He's a great teacher. He's not just a healer. He's a great healer. No, he is God. So if you're here visiting and you've you've not known Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, don't base your final evaluation of Jesus on the fallibility and frailty of his followers. I've shown you enough fallibility and frailty this morning to to probably make you go, well, if that dude is representing Jesus, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Listen, don't, I, I love Jesus. I want to represent him well, but I, I fall short. Base your final evaluation on who Jesus declares himself to be and who he's proven himself to be. That's your accountability and that's your hope. And that's your hope. He's eternal. So that means there's always more of him to know. There's always more of him to know. Jesus loves me, this I know. And I'm going to know more about his love. I can't think of a rhyming word. (laughs) I'm going to know more about his love tomorrow than I do today. That's awesome. I'm going to know more of his hope tomorrow than I do. Why? Because Jesus is God and he has no beginning and no ending. He never fails to give us more of himself and more of his heart. Help us to understand more of who he is, right? He's eternal. There's always more love to experience from him. Always more hope. Always more strength and wisdom. Second point is Jesus is the creator God. And and we see that in John 1, 3. So it says, all things were made through him and without him was nothing made that was made. It's the word became. All things became through Jesus. Without him, nothing became anything that has become anything. (laughs) Okay, so everything in creation was created good, was created by the word, was created by Christ and actually for the glory of Christ. Well, where do I see that God created the, the world by his word? Well, that was in Genesis 1, right? The word was there in the beginning with God. God does, how does God create? Let there be light. He speaks. His word brings creation into existence. Let there be light and there was light. Let there be a sun and there was a sun. Let there be moon and there's moon. Let there be Mount Everest and there's Mount Everest. Oh, the mountains that you've seen, the lakes and the oceans, the trees, the stars, the grain of sand. He's made it all. And it's amazing in their depth and breadth and height. Jan loves the beach and um, I love that Jan loves the beach. You'd think as an Arab that I would probably feel at home on the sand. Beach sand, I think, uh, beach sand, (laughs) I think the fall did something to sand, especially beach sand, because I take 22 showers after being on the beach, and I'm still finding sand. Well, did you know this? I read this the other day. Uh, Some scientists were trying to, to, to wonder, what? Where, what is more, what is there more of, stars or sand? <laughs> and and as, as prevalent as sand can be, and to us here in West Texas, right? 
there are more stars, they say, than there are grains of sand. And, and God named, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah says, and God named them all. <laughs> what an amazing God. He's the creator. The word created all things and nothing was made that was made apart from him. Everything owes its existence to Jesus because through Jesus, everything was created. So, okay, I'm going to meddle. Whether you're a believer here or not, you owe your existence to Jesus. And that means you're accountable to him. You're accountable. He made you. You're accountable to him. You follow the scriptures and we learn, oh, wow, he's given us commands and teaching us how to live. And well, I've broken a few of those every day. <laughs> if, I, if I owe accountability to him and I've not lived the way he has wanted me to, what's the consequence? Well, judgment. Disobedience deserves consequence. It deserves a judgment. But Jesus also created the tree that he died on. You owe your existence to him. You've fallen short of his will and it's called sin. You deserve punishment for your sin. So Jesus created a tree for him to die on and take the punishment that your sins deserved so that you could have a new life that you didn't deserve. If you don't know Jesus, please come to Jesus today. Come to receive and believe. Turn away from your sin into his loving, nail-scarred hands and arms and receive the salvation he so longs to give you. I mean, isn't that true of everything? Jesus created the manger that he slept in, whether that was wood or whether that was stone. <laughs> he, made, he made that. Jesus, as we're thinking about those, the, the birth narrative things, Jesus created the star that the wise men followed to come meet him and worship him. It's profound, isn't it, that Jesus is God and he humbled himself and became flesh to die so that we could live. If Christ can create the world out of nothing, precious ones, if, if he will one day make a new heavens and a new earth, remember Revelation, don't you think he can give you a new heart? Don't you think he can help shoulder the burden you're carrying? Don't you think he can give you the strength that you need that you just know is not inside of you? It's because Jesus is God. Last point is Jesus is a life-giving God. And that's John 1, uh, verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 says, In him was life. Jesus is life and Jesus gives life. And really this is coming just right on the heels of what we have already been talking about. So physical life is from God, certainly. He's the one that's given breath in our lungs. So I mean, just, uh, I'm just going to take a deep breath. And the only reason I could do that is because Jesus gave me that breath. 
And he's giving us each and every breath we're breathing. But it's not just physical life that he wants to give. Even more importantly, it's spiritual life that he wants to give through our being born again. And that's where we're going to head, right? Here we go. We're going to get into chapter 3 and we're going to hear about that doctrine of being born again. The necessity of being born again. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you're never going to see it unless he's life. And gives spiritual life and gives regenerative life and new life. And it doesn't say that life is just by him, as though he just delivers it somehow. It says that life is in him. Meaning the only way to have the life that God desires you to have is through a saving relationship with him. Listen, you can study Jesus as a historical figure all you want. But it's not going to be a source of life for you. The source of life for you is that you've repented from sin and you've, you've received him by faith as your Lord and Savior. And what, what, what the life does is he joins himself to you and never lets you go and gives you the strength you need for every temptation and every trial. The hope that was unquenchable, the, the security that is undeniable, a love Oh my goodness, that's undescribable. That's what he gives us because the life is given to us in him. He is the life. He's the one that we delight in. He's the one that empowers us to do his will. He's the one that will show us the plan that he has for our lives, the purpose he has for your life, the ability to love others the way we've been loved. It's all because of him. So if you have physical life this morning, you're a debtor to Christ. But even more so, if we have spiritual life this morning, we are a debtor to mercy. Oh, I'm so glad that that life comes to us, not because we can earn it, but because it's a gift of his grace. It's a gift of his mercy. We're debtors to mercy alone. And not only will Christ give you the life, to begin your new life with him, he'll sustain your life. If, if you would have a cup of coffee with another church member this morning, or you'd have a cup of coffee with your spouse or your small group leader, in what ways are you feeling like giving up? In what ways are you feeling like, gosh, I just don't know that my faith is strong enough to get through this next season of my life? Based upon what I just learned this week, I just, wait, wait, wait. Oh, Jesus is God, <laughs> right? Because, right, well, look where we're going. Oh, right, oh, wait. Jesus is God, and he not only gave me my life, he is sustaining the life that he gave me. And I may not know how I'm gonna get through this, but I know he will never leave me or forsake me, and I know his life will sustain mine. I know it will. I know it will. From demonic attack, from temptation and trial, from rejection, from people that have hurt you the worst of anyone that's ever hurt you. Jesus is life. And then he goes on to say that the life is the light of men. So many parallels again to Genesis, isn't it? Let there be light. Well, Jesus is himself the light. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Scripture describes darkness both as ignorance of the light, blindness to the light, and the evil that opposes the light. 
the great news here is but as Christ is our light, he takes away ignorance by giving us a relationship with God and the word of God. So there's the light of the word, the light of his, his salvation, the light of his presence in us. He takes away the ignorance that darkness can bring. He opens the eyes of our heart to see the light of the glory of God in Christ's face and salvation. He gives us strength to deliver us from evil because he's the life and the light. A NASA scientist said this, even when 99% of the sun is blocked out by the moon, even when, when um, th there's just 1% of sunlight beaming out, <laughs> the light is still 10,000 times stronger than a full moon. And even if it's a full moon, it's not dark, right? So you can't ever say that light overcomes the darkness. So even when there's 1% of the sun visible, it's still too bright to look at. I mean, we put on those glasses or we do the thing on the shadow. I don't know if you've done that thing. You, I don't know, you put some box and some, I don't even remember. I never did it right. But it's supposed to be, you could see the eclipse by not looking at it, but looking down here. And all I saw was ants crawling and I could never get it right. I, um, but, but we can't look at the sun, even in the midst of an eclipse. It's like, why can't I, I could look at the sun now? Because the sun, what's the what's text say? It, it, it's unovercomable. You can't look at the sun. You can't. Because it overcomes the darkness. Listen, if you, any, anybody have issues with sleeping? Anybody have sleep issues besides me? I have sleep issues. And isn't it amazing? If you're, if you're having trouble going to sleep at night or you wake up. I have this little charger on a razor. It... <laughs> It is the tiniest green light. You can't even see it in the daytime. It's shining, but you can't even see it. At night, when I can't go to sleep, that stinking green light overcomes the darkness. That green light is like 10,000 suns breaking into my world and keeping me awake. The darkness cannot overcome the light. Amen. That's the joy for our hearts. The darkness does not win. When there's terrorism, mass shootings, genocide, that's like going on, we were talking about that on our elders retreat with a people group in China. And just and the, the way that's going on, violent protests. Um, we look back over the past year, someone's lost a loved one through death. Someone's been diagnosed with cancer. There are traffic accidents and sexual abuse and sick kids and hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes and people that are in the grip of addiction or they're saddled with chronic pain. People bogged down with depression. And just we look at our own lives and our own hurts and sorrows and things that make our world seem pretty dark. Isn't it great to know that the darkness cannot overcome the light who is Jesus Christ, who is God? Amen. Amen. Oh, it says the light, life in the word is the light of the world. And I just kind of want to bring this down to you, just so you, if you have some trouble tracking that, well, life and light, how's light, the light, how's the life, the light? I can give you a great, simple illustration I just loved raising my boys. And I loved bedtime. 
I love praying with them. I, I love laughing with them and talking with them and singing with them and Bible stories with them. All of my boys went through times, probably a lot of kids do, right? Oh, dad, before you leave, can you turn the closet light on? You know, can you turn the night light on, right? Can, it was the craziest thing. If I laid down in bed with them, they never asked for artificial light. Because to them, dad was the light. I think even better, that's Jesus for you. That's Jesus for you. His life, his love, his strength, his eternal promises, his very present help in time of trouble. It's life and it's light, isn't it? And he calls and sends us out into the darkness to be lights in the world. Stephen, why don't you go ahead and bring the team uh, back up. What should all this do for us? Well, I hope this morning, now, if we're all honest, right, we're just all human and frail and fallible. So if we're all honest, at some point, some doggone attention kidnappers came into this room. And, and periodically, right, oh, how did that, how did that get in here? <laughs> It might, whether it was you're thinking about lunch or you're thinking about a game or you're thinking about, oh, how's my sick kid? Only one parent is here because another one's home with a sick child. And just so many things that can kidnap our attention off of the Lord. Well, I hope this morning that you're just, this is just wetting your whistle to how the Lord's going to rescue us again and again from those kidnappers of attention. And help us to fix our eyes on Jesus as God. Jesus as Lord. And Jesus our Savior. And I think, you know, I hope that this kind of leaves you... I, I, I wonder if the, the original audience, first-time reader of John would go, and this is amazing. Wouldn't it be cool if I could know who this word is. And so next week, that's going to be the tension. Who is this? this? Man, this word sounds amazing. And so next week, what are we going to go to? And the word became flesh. Would you stand? And let's fix our eyes upon him. Let's worship him for the God that he is, the love that he gives, the forgiveness he's granted, the righteousness he's declared, the hope and the future that he plants in our hearts, the mission he's given us to seek and save the lost. Oh, church, let's worship Jesus as God.